0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Through the grace of God, we will study now the uh, first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 11. After, as I told you before, and in this letter, St. Paul is discussing many issues and many problems in the Church of Corinth. And the last problem that he discussed in chapter 8, 9, and 10 was about whether the Christian should eat the meat offered to the idols or not. And after he answered this question, In chapter 11, in this chapter, St. Paul actually covers two separate matters. The first one about the head covering for women. Should women cover their heads during prayer or not? And the second issue, St. Paul, was discussing about when they assemble together in the church, when they meet together in the church, their behavior and their attitude because of the divisions that was in the Church of Corinth. As we said before, there were four groups in the Church of Corinth. So this division actually affected negatively their attitude when they assemble together for communion, for the divine liturgy and for communion. And he talked about this issue from verse 17 to verse 34. So now we'll start with verse 1, and actually uh, we will uh, take it verse by verse. Verse 1 related to chapter 10, not related to chapter 11. So actually the issue of head covering starts with verse 2. So verse 1 related to chapter 10 even in some Bibles they put verse 1 to conclude chapter 10. So they put verse 1 to conclude chapter 10. The last verse in chapter 10 just as I also please all men in all things not seeking my own profit but the prophet of many, that they may be saved, verse 1 in chapter 11, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So, St. Paul is telling them, as I imitate Christ, in what? I don't put my needs first. I am not trying to please myself Before others. But actually, I am concerned about the salvation of others. And I put their needs before me. Like Christ, He put our salvation first. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He accepted to shed His blood for us. So St. Paul followed the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ and he is asking us to put the needs of others before our own needs for their salvation. To please others to be saved before our own rights and our own needs. So they should not seek to please themselves, but to act now to save others and to follow the example of St. Paul. And this is a very important point to all the clergy and all the servants. How they should set a good example before their flock. Because I cannot preach you to love one another and put others before yourself while me, myself, I'm not doing this. So St. Paul imitated Christ. Now he's encouraging his people to imitate him, and to follow his example. Verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. St. Paul is preparing them because he is going to criticize them. So, before criticizing them, he wanted to let them know that he is aware of the positive things that they are doing. So, although there are many negatives in the Church of Corinth, but there are also positive things. And actually, he is uh, praising them for uh, the positive things. What are the positive things? He mentioned that they keep the traditions just as St. Paul delivered them to uh, the Corinthians. So he told them, I know in many, many traditions, in many regulations, in many ordinances, you are putting me, you are remembering me. And you say, Saint Paul told us to do it this way, and you follow my teaching and the ordinances that I said to you. And this is very important for the flock to follow the rules and the regulation of their shepherd. when the shepherd actually set rules to help the, the flock in their, salvation, then actually we need to obey these rules, these regulations, not only in his presence, but rather in his absence more. Many times we follow the rules only in the presence of the shepherd, but in his absence we don't. But actually the real obedience is to follow the rules and regulations in the absence more than in the presence. Verse 3 But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. St. Paul now is speaking to them about the issue of covering the heads of the woman in the church and he started by saying there is a theological principle here the head of Christ is God and the head of man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man now Does the word head means superiority? When he said the head of Christ is God, does this mean that God is superior to Christ? Absolutely not. We cannot say this. So the word head here doesn't mean superiority. Because many women, when they read this verse, They understand it as if St. Paul is saying men are superior to women. But if this is true, then actually we should say that God is superior to Christ. Because he said the head of Christ is God. But this is the heresy of Arius who said that God is superior to Christ. But we Christians believe that The Son and the Father are one. There is no superiority in the Holy Trinity. The Father and the Son are one. Then we should understand what the word head means. The word head, arshi in Greek, means the origin, the source. The Son is begotten from the Father not the Father from the Son, as we say in the Creed, begotten from the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God. So, because the Son is born from the Father, not the opposite, not the Father is born from the Son, that's why we say that the head of Christ is God. Because the Son came from God, not the opposite. Of course, we know that there is no difference in time between the Son and the Father. Yes, the Son is begotten from the Father, but there is no difference in time between the Father and the Son. There was no time in which the Father exists and the Son did not exist. Then, then, God created Adam by the Son, as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter one. By whom He created the worlds, and in the divine literature we say, "By whom He created everything, heaven and earth, and everything therein." So, the Son, Adam, was created by the Son. That's why. Adam is created by the Son, so the head of Adam is Christ. Because Adam came by Christ. Adam was created by the Son. Then he said, and the head of the woman is the man. Why? Because Eve was created from Adam. God took a rib from Adam, And made her a woman. Woman, woman means taken from man. The word woman means taken from man. So as the son is born from the father, so we said the head of Christ is God. So the woman is taken from Adam. So the head of the woman is the man. St. John Chrysostom said, Jesus, therefore, must be of the same essence as God. For since the man is the head of the woman, and since the head is of the same essence as the body, and God is the head of the son, it follows that the son is of the same essence as the father. St. John Chrysostom said, the head and the body are the same essence. So if the head of the woman is the man, and the woman and man are the same essence, human being, there is equality here, then actually we can say that the son and the father are one. Because if the, the father is the head of the son, then the head and the body are one. So they are the same essence. The same essence. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. St. Paul starts now speaking about the issue of head covering. He said, any man praying or prophesying. Prophesying means what? Speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the word the prophecy mean. Speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why if iman is praying or prophesying while he covers his head, dishonors his head? Think about it this way. The head of the man is Christ. So if I am covering my head, then I am covering whom? I am covering Christ. I am covering the glory of Christ. Uncovering the head means revealing the glory of Christ. Because the head of the man is Christ. So if I am covering my head, then I'm covering Christ. Uncovering the head revealing Christ. You may wonder or ask why the priests and the bishops, when they pray, they cover their heads. Actually, what we wear right now is not covering. Actually, this is the crown of priesthood. And we read about the crown of priesthood both in Old Testament and in New Testament. In the Old Testament, when God actually designed the garments, the vestments of Aaron, one piece of these vestments is called the turban. And on the turban, it's written, holy to the Lord or consecrated to the Lord. And this was like the crown of priesthood. We read about the crown of priesthood also in the book of Revelation. Around the throne of God, 24 priests, with 24 crowns on their heads. So this is not the covering that St. Paul is referring to. This is the crown of priesthood. But in the presence of God, usually like when we read the the, the gospel or in the divine liturgy, after the change of the elements from the bread and wine into the body and blood, actually the patriarch or the bishop removed the crown, Remove the crown, as in, in the oldest, uh, in the book of Revelation, the 24 priests, they took off their crowns and knelt before God. And when you read actually in the book of the Divine Liturgy, the first statement in the book of the Divine Liturgy, the priest uncovered his head and said, so uncovering the head means revealing the glory of Christ. Revealing because the head of the man is Christ. So, why we dishonor our head? Number one, if the man covers his head as if he is covering the glory of Christ. So, as if he is dishonoring his head, dishonoring Christ. Number two, covering the head in general is a sign of subjection. Covering the head is a sign of subjection. So, uh, if Imam covers his head as if he is giving up his role and his authority that God gave him and appointed him as the head of creation. That's why he dishonors his head. Instead of being the head of creation, and following the regulation of God, who appointed the man and gave him authority over the creation, now the man covers his head and he is submitted to somebody else. That's why he said he dishonors his head. And St. Paul reminded them, you follow the tradition that I give you, So shouldn't we follow the ordinances of God? If God appointed the man to be the head of the creation, then the man should actually take this responsibility and uh, be the head of the creation. Verse 5. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. St. Paul is saying here, but if a woman prays or prophesies, while her head is uncovered, she dishonors her head. And actually, she and the shift are the same. She and the woman who shaved her head are the same. Why? The head of the woman is the man. So, in prayer, in presence of God, she should cover her head as a sign to cover the glory of humanity. Because the head here represents the man, humanity. So when actually she covers her head, this is covering the glory of humanity in the presence of God. So in the presence of God, the man uncover his head, revealing the glory of Christ, because the head of man is Christ. And the woman covers her head also as a sign of all the glory of humanity, in the presence of God is hidden, is covered, not revealed. But if she uncovers her head in the presence of God, as if the humanity bragging in the presence of God, and they want their glory to appear in the presence of God, as if they put their glory and their honor more than the glory of God. That's why he said, if a woman prays while she uncovers her head, then actually she dishonors her head. Also, as I told you, covering is a sign of subjection, submission. And God ordered in his ordinances, That woman to submit in love to the man. That is the ordinances of God. To submit in love. Submission here it is submission in the function, not inferiority. I usually give this example. God in our body assigned the brain to regulate the movement of the body. And assigned the heart to nurture all the other organs in the body. We cannot say which is important because both the brain and the heart are equally important for the life of any person. But the heart should submit to the regulation of the brain. If the heart does not submit to the regulation of the brain, the person will suffer from arrhythmia and he may actually risk the danger of death. In the same way, the brain depends on the heart in its nourishment. And if there is obstruction, uh, obstructing the blood flow to the brain, the person will suffer from Uh, stroke so because the heart submits to the brain this doesn't mean it is inferior that is its function so God actually in his assignment he assigned the woman to be submitted to the man and also he gives the woman the, the, the responsibility to nurture and, and, and to be to be caregiver. So if the woman throw off the badge of subjection which is the head covering, let her appear with her head cut like immense. So St. Paul is saying if you don't want to be submitted, if you want to throw off the badge of your subjection, then shave your head. Appear like a man. And if it is shameful for a woman to appear thus in public, then let her keep her veil on. If it's shameful for a woman to shave her head completely like a man, then let her cover her head in the presence of God. Verse uh, 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So St. Paul is saying, if it is shameful, then you need to cover your head during prayer. In the presence of God. Otherwise, if you want to uncover your head in the presence of God, then shave your head, be like a man. And if this is shameful, then you should submit to the regulation of God and the ordinances of God. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. As I explained to you, the head of the man is Christ. So he is the image and glory of God because the man was created by God, by the Son. If he covers his head as if he is covering the glory of Christ, that's why the man ought not to cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. He is the image of God. In the dominion. Because God assigned the man to be the head of creation. So, the man in his authority represents the dominion of God. But for the woman, St. Paul says in verse 7, but woman is the glory of man. Woman is the glory of man. Because her head is the man. So, when she covers her head, she covers the glory of man. Because the woman came from Adam. In the order of creation, the woman was taken from the man and by by her obedience she will bring glory and honor to her husband. When the woman submits to her husband, by her obedience, she will bring honor and glory to her husband. verse 8 for man is not from woman the man is not created from woman man was created by the sun from the dust but woman from man you know the the, the story of creation God put Adam to sleep then he took one rib and made her a woman so the woman was made by God through the man not directly through the man. So the man here was like a veil. The woman was veiled in the man. This red who became the woman was veiled in the man. That's why the woman should be covered. So the woman was made by God through the man who was as it were a veil or a medium placed between her and God. Therefore, she should wear the veil or the head covering in worship. Why? In acknowledgement of this subordination to man in the order of creation. So every time the woman covers her head in prayer and in worship, she symbolizes two things. Number one, the glory of humanity is covered in presence of God. And number two, her submission to her husband or to the man following the regulation of God. Verse 9. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. Again, he is giving another reason. That actually, uh, the man being made immediately by God as his glory has no veil between him and God. When the man was created, there was no medium between him and God. There was no veil. So the man does not cover his head. But the woman was hidden in Adam. That's why there was a veil. Uh, and who was created first? Adam. Then the woman was created for Adam, not the opposite. Adam was not created for Eve, but Eve for Adam as his helpmate. That's what St. Paul says in verse 9. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for man. So uh, God created the woman to be helpmate for Adam. That's why for all these reasons, St. Paul in verse 10, he said, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. When she covers her head, this means she is under authority. She submits to the authority of God. What does it mean because of the angels? The angels also are under the authority. And as we read in Isaiah chapter 6, the angels cover their head with their wings. They have six wings. By two wings, they cover their heads. So the angels follow the ordination of God and the regulation of God. And they cover their head as a sign of submission to God. In the same way, the woman should be submissive to God and to the ordinances of God, to the regulation of God, and she should cover her head in the presence of God and in the presence of the angels. Otherwise, she will offend the angels who are attending the prayers. Because when we pray, we are surrounded by angels who are carrying our prayer to God. And the angels will be offended if the woman does not cover her head as an indecent or improper way of worship. That's why Some people, they start to say the teaching of head covering is cultural teaching related to the city of Corinth. But it's not cultural. If it's cultural, St. Paul wouldn't say because of angels. Angels did not exist only in Corinth. Angels, uh, whenever we pray, and wherever we pray, angels carry our prayers to God. That's why this teaching it's not related only to the Church of Corinth. It is related to the Church and worship any time and everywhere, at any time and everywhere. And women should know: when they pray with their, their heads uncovered, they offend the angels. The angels follow the regulation of God. But the women here, they don't follow the regulation of God. Lest anybody understand the teaching of St. Paul, as if he is saying there is no equality between men and women, that's why he emphasizing again in verse 11, that although the woman was instructed to be submissive to the man, but this doesn't mean that the man is superior. Because the relationship, the relationship between men and women, we call it interdependency. The women are dependent on men, and men are also dependent on women. Think about the heart and the brain again. Yes, the heart should submit to the brain. And the brain is nourished by the heart. So the submission of the heart to the brain doesn't mean that the brain does not depend on the heart. Actually the brain depends on the heart in its nourishment. And if the heart does not nourish the brain, the brain will not function properly. That's why in verse 11 St. Paul said, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. In the Lord means in God's regulation, in God's ordinances, he created us to be interdependent. Man needs the woman and the woman needs the man. God assigns certain responsibility to the woman and certain responsibility to the man. And the woman needs the man and the man needs the woman as Adam needed Eve so this doesn't mean that any gender is independent of each other they need each other and the Lord recognizes their mutual needs upon each other verse 12 for as woman came from man even so man also comes through woman because any man, except Adam, is born from a woman. So any man is born through a woman. And the woman came from man, in, in uh, he's referring to Eve here. So as the woman was created for man, and was taken from the man, but every man except Adam is born of woman but all things are from God. All this relation, who actually regulated our relationship to one another, who submit to whom? It is God. So actually, when a woman submits to her husband in love, she is actually submitting to God, who said this order, who said these ordinances. Verse 13. And St. Paul actually appealing here to their wisdom. Especially he's speaking to the Corinthians in Greece. And as I told you before, Greece is known with the philosophy. Aristotle, Plato, all these people were Greek philosophers. That's why in verse 13 he said, Judge among yourselves. Think about it by yourselves you claim that you are wise so judge among yourself is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered so he is saying the case is so clear the case doesn't need argument it is decent for a woman to pray to God the Most High when she covers her head. But if she does not cover her head in prayer and in worship, this is indecent. This is improper. This is not acceptable. So St. Paul is saying, the case is very clear. Judge among yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? verse 14 does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair it is a dishonor to him even in the arrangement of nature the man wear short hair and the woman long hair so even nature teaches us this this proves that the man was designed to be uncovered and the woman covered. Maybe some of you will ask, why the Nazarites, those who consecrated their life to God, were required to cover their heads? Covering their head, sorry, to, to, to wear long hair, not to cover their head, to like Samson. Samson, Samson, uh, he grew his hair. Why? It is a sign of submission. It's a, he knows the right now. He is submitting all his life to God, and in order to show the sign, actually he grew his hair as a sign of submission because he's taking taking the vow of complete obedience to God and the temple authority. But but the nature. The nature teaches us that men wear short hair, women wear long hair. As if men should be uncovered, women should cover her head. And he said if a man uh, has long hair, it is dishonor to him. Why dishonor? Why it is disgrace for a man to have long hair? Number one, because he is covering the glory of God. Because the head of man is Christ. Number two, he is giving up his responsibility as the head of creation. Number three, he is look feminine, like females. When he grows his hair, when he has long hair. So he is giving up his manhood. Now he looks like a woman. For all these reasons actually it is disgrace for him to uh, wear long hair. And I see some people sitting sometimes deceive us and try to convince Young men to grow their hair and to have longer hair, and they say maybe we can uh, donate this hair. But actually, you cannot, it's ought to obey God more than men. You cannot disobey the commandment of God and you justify it by a good intention. Uh, and, and I hear about a group called Lux for Christ. They think they want to grow their hair, men to grow their hair, and then to contribute their hair. You cannot say, that I'm doing this for Christ while you are clearly disobeying God. It is not right. If you want somebody to contribute their hair or to donate their hair, then women should donate and, 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 and give their hairs as donation. So, if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is glory to her. It is glory to her. Her long hair shows that she ought to cover her head. The fact that nature teaches us that women wear long hair means the woman should cover her head. and it is glory to her why it is glory to her why the long hair is glory to her because now she is submissive to God to the regulation of God she covers the glory of humanity in order to reveal the glory of Christ means also she is decent and walking properly according to the regulation of God in being submissive to her husband for her hair is given to her for a covering. God gives long hair to women because God wants women to cover their heads. So the nature teaches us that women should cover their head in prayer. Uh, Verse 16 But if anyone seems to be contentious we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. If I want to argue this principle and to want to make conflict and contention because of this, you should know that in, church, in the churches of God we shouldn't we have no such custom. Whether custom refers. We don't have in the churches of God women who do not cover their heads. Or in the churches of God, if it is really church of God, people will not have contention and conflict. They will submit to the teaching of God in obedience and in love. So St. Paul is saying here, i give you the explanation from the creation, from nature, from the, the, the logic. And after all these explanations, if you want to argue and to make contention because of this, you should know this is not acceptable in the churches of Christ. This custom is not acceptable. It's not acceptable to argue and to make a conflict about the teaching of the of Christ and also it's not acceptable for women to be uncovered in a church during worship. So this custom does not exist in the church of God. Now from verse 17, St. Paul will switch to another subject. How we conduct ourselves when in the divine liturgy, when we come to take communion, how we conduct ourselves when we come to take communion. Verse 17 Now in giving this instruction I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Now actually St. Paul is using a harsher tone. The first part he told them, I praise you. But now he is saying, I do not praise you. Well he started like this? Because when we come to assemble, to take communion, this is actually the most important thing in our life. And the most important activity we do in our life. There is no such important activity like coming and worshipping and taking communion because we have God with us by his body and his blood on the altar can you tell me about any activity more than this more important than, than this nothing that's why if you come to worship and to take communion while you behave improperly Then St. Paul said, I will not praise you. Because when you come together, you don't come for better, but you come for worse. Your behavior is very, very unacceptable. It's bad. So I will not praise you. So he is telling them, although you followed my instruction, In other things, but actually, you neglected my instruction in what is very, very important the Divine Letters. And when you come together, because you are four groups group for Paul, group for Apollos, group for Peter, and group for Christ that now you fight together. You fight together. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. How they come together for the worse, not for the better. From verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, as a church to worship as a church, and here he is referring to the divine liturgy, when you come together to worship as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part, I believe it. I believe it in part. Maybe all what I hear is not accurate hundred percent, but I'm sure that there is some accuracy in what I, I, I heard about you. And I know that you are four groups and this division, when you come to worship, reflects in your behaviour. Verse uh, 19. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. He said, although divisions are not the will of God, God doesn't want his church to be divided. But in these divisions, actually, those who are approved by God, those who are righteous, those who are upright, will appear and will be recognized among you. And usually, actually, if there is tension in a church, and if there is conflict in a church, we can see, we, you can tell, who are the righteous and who are the ungodly. The ungodly, you will find them very, very involved in, in the conflict and their behavior does not reflect their spiritual life. But the godly people will be like peacemakers. They trying to make peace and actually to reconcile all the groups together. That's why in these divisions, those who are upright, those who are godly, those who are righteous will will, will be recognized, will be uh, will appear, and everybody will know them. Verse twenty. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. So it was a custom in Corinth, when we gather together for the Lord's Supper for communion for the divine liturgy is to eat a meal first before uh, the divine liturgy and they were trying to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who ate the Passover before giving his body and his blood to the disciples but later on the church recognized the importance of fasting before communion. That's why this meal was moved from before the divine liturgy into after the divine liturgy. And it is called the love feast, and actually we use the same word until now Agapi. Agape means love. It is love meal or love feast. And this meal is moved after the divine liturgy because it's very, very important to fast, to prepare yourself for the divine liturgy. But at this meal, each group sit together and eat when their food was ready without waiting for the other group. And this behavior did not reflect that they are coming for the Lord's Supper. Why? Because in the Divine Liturgy there is no groups. It's one body and one cup to to symbolize our unity. All of us are one body in Christ. So, is it proper to say in communion who are one and then in the agape, even it's called agape love, then who are groups and this group doesn't want to eat with this group and this group doesn't want to eat this group and there is all this conflict between these groups that's why Saint Paul told them therefore when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper don't deceive yourselves And say you are coming to eat the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper means oneness. But if you are divided, then don't tell me you are coming to eat the Lord's Supper. Because you don't understand what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is one body. The Lord's Supper means unity, not division. So don't deceive yourself. Verse 21. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. So he's saying, when you eat, each group eat when they are ready. They don't wait for the other. So you can see clearly the division. This group ate, when he said drunk, means they were full they ate and they are full as if they are drunk. And this group is still hungry, they didn't eat. So where is the unity here? Where is the unity here? So at this happy meal, each part in Corinth set apart and ate when it was ready. And the result was that some began before others, and some are hungry while the other were full and satisfied. So St. Paul said, it's not proper. This attitude is not right. Verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. St. Paul is saying, "What is the purpose of aghabi? What is the purpose of this love meal? Just to eat and drink? No. If it is, if its purpose to eat, you have houses to eat in it. Go and eat in your houses. It's not the purpose. It's called aghabi. It's called love meal to bring unity, to eat together in one heart. So." the focus here is, is, is shifted. The focus on eating and drinking. But the happy meal, its focus is not on eating and drinking, but how actually to uh, love one another and to be in oneness and in unity with one another. So, if the focus here on eating, no, go and eat and drink in your houses. For in eating, each one, uh, sorry, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? The church is not restaurant providing you food to eat and drink. Go and eat and drink in your houses. But when we eat and drink here, the, the, the purpose is to emphasize love and unity among the church members. Otherwise, with these divisions, You are despising the church of God. Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Then actually these groups, some group bring very, very luxurious food. And other groups, they are poor. So this group, shame that group. We we manifest ourselves as rich and you are poor. So St. Paul is saying, now you are despising the church of God. This is not love. This is not unity. To show off that I am richer than you and I bring better food than you. This is not love. Uh, uh, they despise the church by a selfish feast, a selfish meal. Now, instead of call it a happy meal or love meal, we will call it selfish meal, where we'll some ate luxuriously and put to shame others, perhaps the poor who had nothing. There is a wonderful story about Bishop Abraham, the Bishop of Al-Fayyum. One time, he, uh, they brought food to him and he wanted to know whether the food they brought to him was different than the food they prepared for the poor. So actually, he went among the poor and he found that the food offered to the poor was different than the food offered to him. And he was very, very disappointed because here love did not exist. If you treat people differently and you offer food to the people or to the poor different than the hierarchy of the church, this is not acceptable actually, from the same food that everybody eats, also the hierarchy of the church should eat. We should not distinguish ourselves from others. St. Paul, that's what he's saying. Others who are despising the church of God, and who are putting to shame, those have nothing. And this is not right. And St. Paul said, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now he is explaining why he started this message by telling them, I, will not, I do not praise you since you come together for the better, not for the better, but for the worse. Now he explained to them why when they come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. Because now these meals are selfish meals, not love meals. If love meals, then actually the rich will, will take care of the poor. And they put the poor before themselves. They put others before themselves. Love means the great and the rich will serve the less and the poor. Not the opposite. But actually if I'm letting the, the, the less self, uh, serve the great and the poor serve the rich, it is not love mean. It is selfish mean. Verse 23 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This verse is very important about the oral tradition. St. Paul learned from the Lord then actually he delivered this tradition to the church in Corinth. He learned from the Lord and then he delivered this tradition. Now St. Paul actually is speaking about the Divine Liturgy, about Communion because he was addressing the issue he finished addressing the Aghaapi meal now speaking about the Divine Liturgy and they are connected because if there is division and now they are partaking of the body of Christ they are unworthily partaking of the body of Christ and as he said if you take of the body and the blood in an unworthily manner, you will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he told them, so what I taught you about communion is what I learned from the Lord directly. What? That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread now St. Paul is uh, referring to the Covenant Thursday. That is the night is referring. Night before his crucifixion. Before being delivered to the priest and the high priest and the Romans to crucify him. He took bread. Took bread as Abuna in the beginning, in the offering of the lamb, he, he chose the bread. So he took bread with the offering of the lamb. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Actually, these are the steps of the Divine leadership. He took bread, that is the offering of the Lamb, when Abuna takes the bread. The second step, give thanks. After the offering of the Lamb, we find Thanksgiving prayer. So we are following the same steps. Number three, he broke it. That's a fraction, when Abuna breaks the bread. Six, take, eat, that's his communion. Honabuna gives it the communion. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we have divine liturgy every day. So St. Paul is saying this secret event, the divine liturgy, is totally inconsistent with your division, with the contention, with the strife, with your disorder. The Lord said, this is my body which is broken. What does it mean broken here? Because we know that actually his bones were not broken. Why the Lord said, take it, this is my body which is broken although his legs were not broken also his bones were not broken like the sieves but his body was severely tormented torn and bruised so broken here symbolizes the uh, torture the bruises the, the bleeding from his body and actually when they scorched the Lord his body was torn into pieces so as if his body was broken into pieces by the the whips when they, they scorched him that's why he said this is my body which is broken and because the Lord said this is my body, then it is the real body of Christ. It is the real body of Christ. It's not a symbol. It's not a memorial. The Lord said, this is my body. And the word, when he said, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance means to live, relive the same event. And to remember his salvation, like the Passover lamb, the Passover feast, they remember the, the delivery from the land of Egypt. So every time we eat from his body and drink from his blood, we remember how God delivered from the bondage of Satan and from death. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. Supper means the Passover meal after supper. Saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, The new covenant covenant refers to the relationship between God and us. The old covenant was based on the human efforts. The new covenant was based On the grace of God. And both covenants were established by blood. Moses sprinkled the blood of the animals and told them this is the blood of the covenant. But the new covenant established by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. This is my blood of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This too, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often, because some churches, some denominations say, we do it once a year. But the Lord said, no. Don't do it once a year. As often as you do, do it in remembrance. That's why the church does the divine liturgy daily, on a daily basis. Not once a year or twice a year. And again the Lord said, this is my blood. So it is real blood and real body as in John chapter 6 the Lord said, my body is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and bring this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes so there are two main facts we remember every time we take communion we remember his death for our salvation and his second coming his second advent he will come in the clouds to take us with him so number one his death Salvation from the bondage of sin and the bondage of enemy. And number two, second coming, it is our ultimate salvation when we inherit the kingdom of God and we live with Him uh, eternally in the kingdom of God. And we need to observe this until the second coming, till he comes, till he comes. And so the word here, as often as, and the word till he comes, as often means, do it frequently. That's why we do it daily. And until when? Until he comes. Now St. Paul spoke about the secretness of the Divine Liturgy. He will connect between their attitude and their conduct during the agape meal and between taking communion to say now if you are divided into groups and you want to take communion communion means unity oneness but if you are divided into groups then this is inconsistent then you are taking the body of the Lord unworthily so you are guilty of the body of the Lord that's what he said here verse 27 therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Unworthily means what? Means in disorderly manner. While I'm not reconciled, while I'm in division, while I, I don't have holy frame of mind, my heart and my, my mind are not holy, while I'm not repentant. All this means unworthy. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. If the body and the blood here is just a symbol, not real body and real blood, why well, some person will be guilty of the body and blood? Which means, instead of taking blessing, Actually, he's taking a curse. As St. Paul will say uh, yani in, the, in the following verse, that's why many among you are sick and ill, and many die and weak. Because you we are guilty. You are taking communion unworthily. That's why in verse 25, but let Iman examine himself, examine himself and offer repentance. That's why the church teaches us to confess before taking communion. Confession is examining oneself. It's important to examine oneself and confess before taking communion. That's why the Lord washed the feet of the disciples before giving them his body. Washing the feet symbolizes washing the dirt in our life. Washing the sins in our life before taking communion. Let the man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine, are you conciled, are you reconciled, or you are in division? Did you repent or you have hidden sins in your life? Examine yourself. So this examination and confession is required before communion verse uh, 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So instead of eating and drinking blessing, life, we say given for salvation, eternal life to those who partake of him. But actually, you will be eating and drinking judgment yourself not discerning, not understanding that this is the body of the Lord. Maybe consider it a regular meal. But this is the body of the Lord. This is His blood. And you need to know that this is the body. And again this verse is a very strong verse as evidence that the body and blood are real body and real blood. Otherwise you wouldn't say not discerning the Lord's body. So If you eat unworthily, you are eating and drinking condemnation and judgment. Not understanding that it is the body of the Lord, but treating it as a common food, a regular food. Verse 30, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Sleep means die. So St. Paul is saying, not only will be condemned spiritually and eternally, but even in your earthly life, you may suffer weakness, you may catch some diseases, or maybe you physically die if you eat the body of the Lord unworthily. So profaning the body and blood of the Lord is harshly punished by the Lord. Therefore, such wrongs ought diligently to be prevented by each one, judging and correcting himself. If you judge yourself, you examine yourself, the Lord actually will forgive you. And thus you will eat and drink eternal life and salvation. But if you don't examine yourself and you come and partake of the body of the Lord unworthily, not only the person will receive eternal judgment and eternal condemnation, but also, here on earth, he may suffer from diseases, weakness, or he may die. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Here is the rule. When you judge yourself in in confession, in confession you go and you say to Abuna, I confess before the Lord that I am a sinner and I deserve the sentence of death, then actually the Lord will absolve you. If you judge yourself, then you will not be judged. But if you say, I am righteous, nothing wrong. Yes, don't tell me to reconcile with this man. I will not reconcile with him. And this is right. If you don't judge yourself, the Lord will judge you. So if we judge our spiritual condition and correct ourselves, we will not be judged. And this we will avert God's judgment. But if we refuse to judge ourselves and we refuse to correct our ways and we refuse to repent, we will be judged by God. Verse 32 But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. When we judge ourselves and maybe we receive some discipline, this discipline is healthy, to help me to repent, as the Lord disciplined David, as the Lord disciplined Samson. This discipline helped them in their repentance. So when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord because he loves us. That's why he, he disciplines us and chastens us. That in the last day of judgment will not be condemned with the world. But if you don't repent and if you don't judge yourself here, at the last day you will be condemned with the world. So judgment are used to chasten and to bring repentance and reformation. And when we are thus judged, it is with this merciful design God chasten us with his mercies that we may not be finally condemned with the world in the last day. Verse 33 Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. He's going back to the happy meal, to the love meal. Show love to one another. So let us wait. Let us all eat and partake together in unity and in oneness. Let's wait for one another. Let's have the attitude of love, not the selfish attitude. Because this meal The Agape meal is not instituted to eat and drink. As I told you, the church is not a restaurant. The purpose of the Agape meal is to strengthen the bond of love among us. And the Lord's meal, the communion, is to nourish our souls with the communion of Christ, to feed our souls with the communion of Christ. verse 34 but if anyone is hungry let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will set in order when I come but if you say "You know, it is not about selfishness I, uh, we love the brethren but when we eat before them we do this because you are hungry St. Paul again said okay, if you are hungry go and eat in your house The church, again, is not restaurant. The the purpose of this meal is not to feed you. The purpose of this meal is to emphasize the bond of love. So you cannot justify your action that you are hungry. That's why you eat before others. If you are hungry, eat in your house. This is not acceptable excuse. But when we wait for one another and to eat together, then actually we show how we love one another. So if you are hungry, that's fine. Eat at your house. Uh, and yes, uh, you come together for judgment. Why you come together for judgment? If you abuse your and now there is divisions or there is selfishness. God will judge you because of your selfish attitude and because of the divisions and contentions among you. And then he said, The rest I will set in order when I come. As an apostle, when he, visit, he will visit Corinth, he will actually set the other things pertaining to the Divine Liturgy like the place of the divine liturgy, the time, the form of prayer, and all this regulation, he will do this uh, when he go and visit uh, Corinth. Uh, Lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will sit in order when I come. Sit in order means uh, everything in the church should be in order. God is God of order, not of chaos. Many times we allow our church to be disorganized. But here St. Paul said, no, everything will be in order. And it's very, very important to follow the order and to keep our churches organized. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.